Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. What's your favorite story franchise? Think about that. Many of us like story dynasties. There's uh, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe that's, that's popular right now. Star Wars in a previous generation, or I guess still so. Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, right? The video games and books, television shows. Uh, we, we build these, these really big worlds uh, filled with lots of wonder and and there's, there's creatures and mytholog- uh, mythology and, and mystery, just complex stories with a lot of heroes and, and villains, right? We, we, many, many people, we, we turn to these, these really big stories. And perhaps we do that for a sense of escape. We do it as a, as a thing of safety. We, we know what to expect with these, these stories. I'm a big fan of Batman. I like that. Batman feel so like yeah like I, I get excited when when a Batman thing comes out. Now, here's the thing: as much as we love these really big fiction and the really big fantasy stories that take take place in really big worlds and and things like that, sometimes we forget that we live on this amazing planet. You know, we we spend a lot of creative energy creating this this big imagination, this, this big world. Right? But this world, right now, like right here, this is cool. Think about all the, the amazing animals. What's your favorite animal? You know, giraffes and elephants and, you know, little fuzzy puppies and, and things like that. You know, all the flowers and the trees, all the, the rocks and gemstones and geological features that this world has to offer. Are you aware that there's nutrients that, that blow off of the, the continent of Africa? It travels across the world, and you know particles, right? And then, and then it's deposited in the rainforest in, in South America, and like that's that's like so good for the ecosystem. Like this, this world is amazing. Imagine growing up in a sterile laboratory, you know, just all all plain and and everything, and then you finally get to go outside. Like, how amazing would grass be? You know, just to see grass for the first time in your life. There's an English Christian writer who lived 100 years ago. His name is G.K. Chesterton. Anybody familiar with G.K.? Yeah, G.K. Chesterton. I personally find him a little bit challenging to, to read sometimes. He has a unique style filled with wits and, and humor, and, and he uses a lot of analogies. So sometimes you'll, you'll read something. He's, he's the type of reader where you have to go back and like chew on it again. So in his one book called Orthodoxy, he shares a lot of his, his uh, personal views, uh, a lot of personal information about his, his Christian faith. And at one point, he pushes against fatalism. Fatalism. It's the view that sees everything as, as predetermined. Everything unfolds the way that it's supposed to. You know, perhaps we could think of it like this, uh, the, the fatalist world. We, we live in this big, mechanized world. It's kind of like a big clock. Uh, monotony uh, just keeps ticking away. Tick-tock, tick-tock. And if we stretch that view out enough, if we parse that out enough, it kind of leads to, for, for GK, a reason why 
why we get bored with life. This planet's amazing, but we get tired of it. We don't see the, the specialness of it. And so if we get bored, if we get tired, if we get worn out and just whatnot, you know, then, then we start to turn to things. We're, we're looking for something to fill our tank. Oh, I've seen a sunrise before. Let me look for the next, the next new and good thing. So G.K. Chesterton, Gilbert Keith Chesterton, has something to say about the monotony of the universe. So we're going to check out a, a passage of his. Uh, you can get a flavor of how, of how he writes. He says, A child kicks his legs rhythmically through excess, not absence, absence of life. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony, like to triumph in routine. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we the repetition in nature may not be a mere re recurrence. It may be a theatrical encore. We are the ones who get the skewed version, uh, skewed vision. We're the ones who get bored with, with life. We get drained. Uh, we get crushed. We get burned out, worn out, cynical, pessimistic, tired, and so on. And there's other stressors too, right? Because life is a lot. We have mental health concerns, and there's, there's trauma, uh, trauma and panic and depression and anxiety, a bunch of other things that we experience, right? We're all humans here. Life is a lot. Life is a lot sometimes. And you know what? God knows that. But still, do you think the God of life gets bored with life? Let's think about some statements that Jesus made. Especially when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Life is a theme in John's gospel account. And he loves to talk about life. Life, light, things like that. John 1.4, in Jesus' life, and Jesus' life is the light of humanity. John 3.15, everyone who believes in Jesus has eternal life. In John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus gives his life for the life of the world. John 10, 10. Jesus came so that we can have life and have it abundantly. Let me be clear. The Bible has much to say about what it means to be a fully alive human being. And it points to Jesus. In fact, the Bible makes this, this challenging claim. The best way to be human is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Jesus, Savior Christ. <laughs> Lord and Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But you know what? Kind of going 
back to what GK was kicking around, sometimes we get tired. We look elsewhere for quote-unquote life. We're trapped in this world of monotony. We're, we're trapped in this machine, repetition. We get thirsty, again, tired, bored. We're looking for something. We're looking for a way out. And every day we, we turn to something. I, I was thinking about this uh, over the last week or, or so. You know, life is filled with turning. We're always turning to something. Turning to someone, turning to a substance, turning uh, to an activity. We're, we're always turning. Even uh, if you think a person, if you're like, you see a person, and, or maybe yourself, and you're like, yeah, I actually haven't changed much in my life. I, I would argue, actually, no, that person is still choosing that. They are returning to the same old thing. We're always turning. Again, sometimes we, we turn to people. It could be performance, progress, productivity. We're looking for something to fill our tank, satisfaction, joy. We, we look for the path of least resistance. All the while, we miss out on the ongoing, true, life-giving embrace of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God loves life, church. God is life. And in the gospel accounts, Jesus wants you to know that you can know the Father the way that he knows the Father. That all of us, we get to turn to God. When Jesus introduced God the Father to the disciples as Father, that wasn't a completely foreign concept, but it was more abstract. But Jesus really pulls it down into the relational sphere, like our Father in heaven. Like God, God's your dad. God is your Father. You can turn to him. And he is good. He's many things. Or perhaps, you know, that, that's a bit, you know, we can put a lot of things in that word. God is good. God is good. We even have this tradition. If I say, God is good all the time, you say, All the time, God is good. There we go. Amen, right? It's part of our theology. It's part of our, our, uh, our, our vocal flow in, in the church. Some of you might may not have grown up with that, but some of us have. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And if he is good, we can rest in this, this diagnostic statement. God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. This sermon, the last two, the one next week, Lord willing, uh, it, it's based off of four, uh, four diagnostic statements that come from a pastor in the UK, his name's Tim Chester, today, following his, his advice. Now, we want to be careful when we boil things down into a simple statement. Okay, we want to be careful. But if we think about it, think about this, if it's true that God is good, then what that means for us is that we don't need to look elsewhere. God can satisfy our thirst. In John chapter 3, John is informing the reader that Jesus is fully man. He is the Son of God. Believing in, in Jesus is the spiritual miracle that gives you the ability to see what Jesus is pointing to. The kingdom of, of God. And so uh, the gospel says you have an opportunity to respond to God's love today. The gospel says don't miss out on true life. It runs through Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true human. 
you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be a full human, look to Jesus. And then when we turn the page to what we call John chapter 4, where we're going to hang out today, we get a really good Jesus story that will help us consider you know, this, this thirst that we have in life. So let's check it out. We pick up the story. Uh, the gospel uh, spells it out. It says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. We won't talk about that, but that is, that's an observation, that word had. Like, Jesus had to go to Samaria. So that's something for you to chew on later on today, this week. Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? The Samaritans are a people of hybridity. They're, they're hybrid people, um, half Jewish, half Assyrian. Um, they have their own views on things, their own worship. Uh, Samaria was a hotbed of, of idol worship, okay? Uh, strict Jews would not go to Samaria. That's, that's a no-go. You, you, you don't go there. They have drawn the line. We, we don't go to Samaria. But here we have Jesus. He's on the move. Jesus had to go to Samaria. Samaria is a, is a region. In that region is a town called Sukkar. And we find out that there is a plot of ground that Jacob, Old Testament, Genesis character, a plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. And there, there's a well. And so, we're here in Sukkar, there's a well. The disciples, we find out, go into town to get supplies. Jesus is tired. He's like, you guys go on ahead. I'm going to sit down on this well. Uh, Jesus is tired. It's about noontime. He's just going to chill out at this well. So the Samaritan uh, woman came to draw water. And one commentary said that wells were known to be a place to pick up women. So, let's kind of step back in time. Or maybe we don't have to step back in time. We can just say, like, yeah, Jesus is at the local watering hole. <laughs> right? He's, he's hanging out. But that might put up, if, if we're, like, staunch, super religious, legalistic Jews listening into this, it's like, Jesus, what are you doing? Don't, don't hang out at the well. What are you doing in Samaria? Samaria? What, what are you doing here, Jesus? Don't go to the water hole. Don't, don't be at the well. Now there's a Samaritan woman come, coming by. This might make you look bad. Jesus goes against the social barriers of the day. A Jewish man would not approach a woman like this in public. And he asks for a drink. So let's jump in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. She's very observant. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews, do not associate with Samaritans, John tells us. Little side note. Okay, so she is thrown off by Jesus speaking to her. Okay, she is not expecting this. This is not typical. He's not even supposed to be here. Why is he talking to me? Jesus answers, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink... You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Okay? So Jesus is here. He's sitting at Jacob's well. Jacob's name means 
to supplant, to, to overreach. And so perhaps, what if we kind of play with that a little bit? What if Jacob's well becomes a metaphor for our hearts? Okay? Like Jacob, we're always drawing up these crafty schemes. The spirit of Jacob, so to speak, is in our hearts. And, and uh, we, we try so hard to be clever, to try to maneuver. You know, because of sin, we, we always look for ways to satisfy our thirst. But here, Jesus sits on the well of Jacob. Jesus caps the well. If only you knew who I was and the gift God wants to give you, you'd be asking me for a drink. So maybe one way to think about this right now is that Jesus is, is trying to make an effort to kind of take this literal conversation into a spiritual, like, metaphorical one. But sir, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Again, she's, she's observant. Like, like you, have, you have no bucket, sir. All right, this is a deep well. Now, we're probably trained to think of a brown little wooden bucket, right? Is that fair? Were you thinking of a brown wooden bucket? It was, it was a, most likely an animal skin bucket. And that if, if you were traveling, like everyone, every traveler would have this animal skin bucket to lower down and get, and get the water. The disciples, most likely, they had one, but they took it into town, maybe to carry supplies. You know, they, they were filling it up with with grapes or olives or something like that. I don't know. Jesus doesn't have a bucket. Where's your bucket? The well is is deep. And so, um, when the woman asks about living water, she's probably still thinking about the water in a literal sense. Like, living water is flowing water, not stagnant water. Where can you tell me to get this flowing water, this living water? Perhaps that's what she's thinking. And then she asks a question. Are you greater, are you better than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank it from himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? So I, I wanted to double check, but as far as I know, there, there is no record in Genesis of Jacob ever digging a well. But somehow, some way, there's this tradition that this is Jacob's well, you know, Jacob's well right here. Jacob drank from this well. Are you telling me that you are better than Jacob. The lady is still grounded in the literal world. Jesus is going to try again. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Certainly, she's starting to get engaged now. She's, she's asking questions or, you know, she, wheels are, are turning inside her head. Jesus decides to switch things up. He, he told her, go call your husband and come back. She replies, I have no husband. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. 
And that right there, we hear something that is super relevant for us today. It's this. Life is messy. Our lives don't go according to our plans. There's a lot of brokenness going on. It sounds like there's a lot of drama in this lady's life. And if we're all honest, we can all raise our hand and say, you know what? My life has drama too. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Okay, now she's starting to see something. She's starting to open up. The gears are turning and she's seeing something bigger that's happening here. But now it's her turn to try to switch gears. Okay? I think she's deflecting. I think she's trying to do uh, what perhaps we might call like a, a whataboutism. Okay, we're talking about this, but what about this? Let's, let's talk about something else. You know, you, you poked me a little bit, starting to get a little uncomfortable. Let's talk about this over here. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And then Jesus just brilliantly sidesteps this worship war conversation. This religious debate that she had just like plopped into the conversation here. Jesus is going to like kind of like honor it, sidestep it, move the conversation forward. He says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. This is good news. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter where you're from. Worship is not bounded up by location. Worship is not bounded up by style. Worship is an attitude. And if you're just thinking about singing, like we're talking the broadest definition of worship. Worship is an attitude. Worship is about what or rather who you're turning to. Worship is about what you're giving worth to. Eugene Peterson puts it like this. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly honestly themselves before him and worship. Worship is about turning to God. Being sourced in the deep waters of his truth. Being in the spirit. So if we kind of take it back to what the sermon is about. When we look elsewhere, we miss the mark. When we look elsewhere, we're missing the mark. Jesus did not want the lady to be distracted by religious debates or ethnic social boundaries. She was starting to see Jesus simply. To see Jesus simply. If you were here on Easter morning... That was a theme of that sermon. Seeing Jesus simply. Just really seeing him. The woman said, I know that Messiah, that's a title, called Christ, 
Israel's kingly anointed one, Israel's hero. I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus is the I am. Whatever character trait, whatever attribute that God the Father has revealed, that is also true of Jesus in the most beautiful, holy, fullest, and consistent way. Yeshua and Yahweh Elohim are, the, are one. Jesus is the living water for our thirsty lives. And so I encourage you, you know, may, may we be drawn into the story first to the Samaritan woman. She had a pattern of brokenness, hang-ups and hurts, and so do we. We too are the ones who are looking for meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment and joy and intimacy and, and, and hope. We thirst. And all of us are like unaware of how thirsty we are. I think by the grace of God, we don't know how thirsty we are. Like our spiritual thirst, that's, that's, that's a, a metaphor, you know, like we are thirsty. Jesus is the living water our lives are thirsty for. That is, until we turn to Jesus. And he breaks the cycle. And so, after we kind of hang out with the woman, let's hang out with Jesus. Let's see the Jesus of the gospel account here. Jesus is the one who caps the well of Jacob. We don't have to draw from the well of always striving. Always reaching. We don't need to draw from that well. You don't need to look elsewhere. Jesus sits on the well. He caps it. So may we go to him. May we see who's before us, clearly. The great I am. May we contemplate together, church. As we think about all of the reasons why we sin, I wonder... How much of our sinning actually comes from the fact that our worship life is garbage. It's dry. It's, it's thirsty. We're parched. We croak with dehydrated hearts. If we're honest... He's brutally honest here, you know. Do we believe, do you believe that God can meet your needs? Or deep down, and we're talking deep, deep down in your heart, there's a little snake that's giving you a little bit of poison that says, nah, this idol is better. The call to action today is, is to be deeply spiritual. Sink into the truth of Jesus. Worship is turning to the Lord. Turning to, to God and his, his goodness. Stepping into the torrents of who he is. And when we do that in authentic ways in Jesus, we are released from the bondage of always looking elsewhere. 
Believing in the goodness of God means we don't need to play this massive game of where's Waldo, you know, like... God has revealed himself to us, and we can go to Jesus, and we can see him simply. God is good, and if that is true, then what that means for our lives is that we don't need to look elsewhere. God doesn't get bored with life. God is life. God is good. And so, I want to encourage you to consider all the things that you turn to. And and these can be neutral things, you know. How does your day start? How do they end? When you have really good energy, you have margin in your life, you, you have free time, what do you like to do? When you're stressed, when you're busy, how do you relieve that stress? How do you cope? When you're experiencing sadness, depression, when you're bored, when you're tired, weary, what things are you turning to? Now certainly, Having fun, taking care of yourself, enjoying life, hanging out with friends, listening to smooth jazz, even doing chores, taking care of the yard, being a good steward of your your house and yard, fishing, watching the Phillies lose, going shopping, browsing a store, picking out a new book. Picking out a new nail polish, right? Golfing, playing games, getting fresh air. There's other things too that that we want to put safe conversation around because sometimes, yeah, we we need to turn to medication. We need to turn to counseling. All of these things can be great tools. But the challenge today is to look at the belief that is behind and underneath all of those things? Is there a heart that just wants to worship Jesus? That just wants to turn to Jesus? Is your heart in a state of constant doxology? Is God gently getting your attention today? He's inviting you to see the world, your life, God's life in the world, the life of the church. He's inviting you to see things differently from a place of faith and goodness. Life is hard, but it's also good. There's amazing things. When we say, like, take time to stop and smell the roses, it's like, let's listen to that. When Jesus says, behold the lilies, let's listen to that. And as we talk about worship and turning to God, maybe maybe God is nudging you in other ways. Perhaps revealing some areas of thirst. So church, if, if you want freedom from overeating, over smoking, over drinking, over spending, pornography, bitterness, pride, comparison, indifference, ingratitude, laziness, boredom, apathy. Are you a Sabbath breaker? Take a step of faith. Be a herald to yourself. Preach the good news to your heart. Say, Jesus is good. 
And he satisfies my soul. He is enough. God is good, and I don't need to look elsewhere. God is good, I don't need to look elsewhere. So turn, worship, and believe that that the goodness found in the great I am is better than everything else. Jesus has capped the well of constant striving. So trust that he is good. Be honest with yourself before God. Praise him. Want the things that Jesus wants. Go to the the father of, of lights. All good and perfect gifts come from God above. Go check out James chapter 1 for that. What the world didn't give you, the world can't take away. Love God, love people, reflect what the Father desires. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. In all things, turn to Jesus. Let Jesus fill your tank and say, do it again, Jesus. Do it again. And if you would stand with me, we're going to sing a cappella. It's an oldie. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly hosts. pray and then we'll sing. Jesus, you're our shepherd. You're the living water. We don't need to look elsewhere. So take us to the quiet waters. Renew our life. Lead us along the right path for your name's sake. Let us not be afraid. Be with us forever. May we dine in the presence of our enemies. May you set before us the good fight. May our set us apart for the good fight, Lord. May our cup overflow. Your goodness and mercy run after us. And we thank you for that. Thank you for chasing us, God. May we truly see how good you are. May we truly see who you are, God. Let's stop drawing from dry wells. Help us to surrender to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.